Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Loyal's Book Club. I'm just a gray man wanting to get a drink, and I got a knife in the chest. Dalen. <laughs> uh, and hello, I am your fellow innkeeper cleaning up that mess. I am Eric, and yeah. I am your first-time reader in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jor- Jordan. And I'm attempting to keep a straight face as Eric makes his various guesses throughout the series. And today we're going to be discussing chapters 43 to 46 of The Dragon Reborn. And I think we should just dive right on into it. Uh, Just right off the back, Eric, what are your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, so for this whole grouping of chapters, uh, you know, I'm always excited to uh, get a little bit more of the fantastical beasts and mythology and meeting the dark hounds was probably my my favorite highlight of this grouping of chapters personally yeah the dark hounds are a very interesting addition to already the dark friends that or the uh, shadow spawn that we have already met we got the merge all the trollocs and now we have shadow spawn so it's a cool little like oh great another threat you know the addition of Dark Hounds is very much, it raises the stakes a lot more, I think, in these books. And it now adds, okay, so now we got Forsaken, Trollocs, uh, Mergerall, and now uh, Shadow Hounds. What else could there possibly be now? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we're going to meet some more uh, nefarious beings, obviously. But I I will say to the credit of Jordan, you know, this is another move that really kind of separates itself to uh, from a different fantasy series. I love that detail that they don't leave oh, any yeah. prints in the mud, the dirt or anything. But in stone, you know, you can always find their footprints and stuff. Just really cool details like that. I'm really enjoying and it's really setting apart from other fantasy series. And it was just going through those chapters where it was like you said, something is going on if Moraine and Lon are freaked out a little bit, you know? I think the fact that right after she leaves, Lon is like, all right, loyal parent, come with me. And it's just like this moment of, shit, okay, this is really bad, you know? I actually did have a question for you, because uh, this is where we're finally going to cover in the podcast, Parents Wolf Dream. And if you don't think dreams are important in Wheel of Time, you're in the wrong series. You know, I hate dream sequences in cinema and in literature, so I've actually been skipping every single dream sequence. Uh, I hope that doesn't impact anything. That is all. That is also completely a joke. I actually love these dream sequences. I feel like it's kind of like the foreshadowing and I'm pretty positive that me coming across them the first time there's all kinds of layers that I'm not catching on that you probably even rereading where we are uh there there's probably a lot of stuff going on that I'm missing even in my first read through of the series I'm like catching things that I did not expect to see but I did want to ask you if you had an idea of what these dreams meant. Just kind of going off what we know so far. We have a tall, slender man holding a glowing sword and laughing triumphantly with him sitting on a throne and kings and queens groveling before him. I mean, that to me, I, I mean, if, if this is an official prediction, that's that's got to be Rand. That's got to be our, our dragon reborn. That's got to be our... Uh... You know, our our, our yeah. figure in the series that is uh, standing above kings and queens. I'm keeping a list of all of your predictions. So as we continue through the series, we can kind of look back and go, okay, you guessed this. 
this was wrong. Oh, you got that completely right. So the next one is Matt is dicing with Balsamon. Yeah, so I actually, so I'm reading into this one a bit more. I'm, I might be putting my own uh, creative will on this, but what I think is happening, what I think I'm reading into is uh, Matt is pretty naturally lucky. Like he's just gifted in that way. I'm wondering if though, if this isn't natural luck so much as it is a dark gift from our our big bad Balesmon. Uh I'm I'm very curious if this is just one of those ways that he's kind of got his uh his tentacle wrapped around our boys. Interesting. All right. Our third and final one is Aglaine, Nynaeve, and Elaine are trapped in a huge cage while a woman with dark hair and a woman with her hair all in braids laughs at them. And the first woman is also wearing all white. Yeah, so that's uh, that's got to be our uh, our woman in white. That's got to be our uh, our Celine or our Lanfear, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And again, please correct me if I'm if I'm any mispronunciations. I need to I need to practice and get those in. Uh, but I think that is one of our Forsaken with our uh, our traitor uh, Aes Sedai. Uh, what's her name? Leandrin. Thank you. Yes, I think they're in cahoots. I think they got our three, our three birds trapped in a cage. Yep, that's all I got. Because otherwise, it's it's you know even if that is the setup, if I'm correct, there's so much more context into what that means. And if I'm incorrect, it, it totally could probably mean that I'm going to meet some new characters very soon. <laughs> well, I am going to uh, only answer that with how Robert Jordan wisely uh, answered all those questions before me read and find out. All right, so then Perrin wakes up from his dream only to find Zareen waiting for him. She's just chilling in his inn going like, hey, what's up? And I think that's such a weird, like, disconcerting moment of like, you just woke up from a nightmare and all of a sudden this girl who's been chasing you is just like watching you sleep. It's very Twilight. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 getting a lot more from her than I was at the beginning. I thought this was going to be a new companion for Perrin. But there's just some stuff going beneath the waters uh, where I think she's she's sort of plotting. I think she's got her own her own agenda. I think, uh, you know, the the whole beans getting spilled about the horn already being blown happened in this group yeah. of chapters, which I was predicting not happening until the back half of this book really? or even the next one. I thought that was going to be a real explosive moment. But uh, yeah, and with her, you know, I think. Perrin reads into it a bit of like there's no reason somebody would want to stay just for a good story yeah uh so I think she's got some some things hidden that will reveal themselves later do you think it's good or bad definitely bad I think because I think in this chapter uh this chapter uh Perrin recalls him running away from a beautiful lady and he thought that was who he knew to be Celine I think it might be Zareen, I mean, that's that's obvious, but I think that's because whether or not she's a Forsaken, I think that might be top level, but I do think she is bad. Uh, I don't trust Zareen. <laughs> okay. All right, so then uh, chapter uh, 43 ends with Moraine kicking open the door, essentially, and saying, the Forsaken are loose, and one of them is an alien. And we go on to learn in the next chapter that this Forsaken is Samael. So you've got your newest Forsaken to add to the group. 
I, I feel like I'm I'm buying Forsaken and it's like they're revealing themselves on the board because there's a total of 12, right? 13. And so we definitely have two that are gone, one that is playing currently, and then a uh, new one so that has just revealed themselves. Two that are dead, uh, Aganor and Balthamel. Uh, we have Lanfear and Balzaman, who are still chilling. And now we have uh, Samael. Reading these chapters and listening to your thoughts about Moraine, I can't help but also see the cracks are starting to appear in her uh whole character this idea of this uh we meet her in the first two books and she is that sort of gandalf figure she is that sort of she knows what to do moraine will know what to do and then she loses the dragon reborn he's gone we don't know where he is another taviran is currently dying from a uh poisoned dagger in Tarvalon. We don't know if he's still alive. We don't know if it worked. And the other one is just revealing their secrets one by one, and she's getting ready to pull her hair out. I think my favorite moment is when uh, he finds out there's another Forsaken, and on top of all of that, after being sworn to secrecy, he screams, why are they after me? Rand is the dragon reborn, and it's just it's like she... If she could have, I think Moraine would have killed him right there. <laughs> yeah, if if Perrin was a lesser being of any kind or not a uh, a big player in the game that she's playing, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, and yeah, the cracks are showing. I think in this grouping of chapters, whether it's this one or the next one, she kind of states or kind of uh, I don't know if it's reveals or just kind of admits to herself that the the pattern and the threads are moving past her pace, and she's kind of not running the game anymore you know things are happening and she's just barely keeping up with them yeah she's sort of lost control of what she had thought she was preparing for you know what i mean and i think it's really mm -hmm. interesting to see this almost mythical figure of the Aes Sedai being brought down to being human you know she is we're starting right. to see that oh she's not this Aes Sedai she's just this human woman who is kind of watching everything crumble around her. And um, there is a quote that she says a little bit later as they're running away from the uh, dark hounds and they find themselves perched at the top of the hill. Loyal and Perrin find a statue of a woman sort of hidden underneath the ground that they can both see, but Zareen can't. And she is going wait, what is this place? Where are we? And to read this quote that I that jumped out at me when I was rereading this chapter, um, we have a very special guest, uh, the lovely and talented Amy. So if you want to uh, lean forward and just give us a read of that. Many nations have risen and fallen since the breaking, Moiraine said without turning, some leaving no more than names on a yellowed page or lines on a tattered map. Will we leave as much behind? Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. That was wonderful. Yeah, thank you, Amy. That was great. That line, it just... When she's telling the story of Manetherin to the villagers of Edmunds Field, this idea of she is someone who... I know this history. I know who we once were. And now she's kind of questioning, is this, is this all that we are going to be? You know, it's like, what is our, 
legacy going to be after this? Will we be strangled by the pattern of the wheel of time or will we succeed, you know? Yeah, uh, like I said, you know, I think the the cracks, you know, are uh, are appearing. I think Moraine is not, you know, she's, <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's funny, like the pacing of the writing. So a, as a reader, I've gotten to a point where we have all these loads of characters and things are much more complicated and nuanced, you know. It's not she's the star quarterback anymore like she was in the first two books. Now she is very much a thread tangled with all these other powerful threads. And she too is kind of trying to keep her head above water in in some ways, I think. It's a really tense scene with them fighting the Dark Hounds because it's this, like, you can imagine it very cinematic of the music is building, the music is building, Perrin is aiming, aiming his bow and arrow. It's building and building and building. And then boom, bale fire. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I don't think it's it's referred to as that yet. So I think, or not that that's a spoiler or anything. I definitely knew it was some type of specific magic we're working with. And I will say this is again, like just another crazy cool shade of nuance where it's like, oh, she knows things that she shouldn't even know herself. Like, I think she she states very plainly that she could be stilled just for even knowing about that. So I have two questions for you regarding these last two chapters. Something for you to ponder, because they are also kind of fandom mysteries, you know? Uh, the first being is, uh, how did Moraine know that Samael was in Ilian? Or how do you think she knew? Yeah, she's got a real air of mystique that I kind of thought um, was going to be pulled back more and more as we knew about this world and how it operated and kind of the rules. But again, like I, I, I do praise this part of the writing. Every character has a promise to the reader that that's what they'll keep being. And hers is mysterious. She knows secrets that she will not tell us. She will not tell uh, the boys. She will keep she will place things very close to the chest and it does make her very intriguing. I, I love that she has a reason for what she does and we never know quite what it is. So I don't think, okay, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to try to uh, make this as plain as I can because I feel like I could easily ramble into this. I think this, seri- this series is, is much less about good and bad and it's more about your personal stakes and your personal story and kind of how it weaves in and out of others. So I don't think Moraine is evil. I don't think she's bad, but I do think she has been wrapped up before in some pretty bad things that the White Tower would not approve of. Whether that means, you know, my my big top shelf kind of hope, at, at least narratively, is I kind of hope she's a forsaken that has turned her back on that group and is now trying to undo them. I think that would be a really cool redemption arc. Interesting. But, you know, if I can't have that, I will settle for. I do think she knows some things because she hung out with some people that she shouldn't have hung out with. And she is trying to repent for some of that, or at least use that knowledge and that information for good now. Some of that being, I think she has a close connection to Samael because I feel like you either know the magics that the Forsakens are doing and then there's a certain imprint that she can read into, or she knows some of these Forsaken personally, and she can kind of tap into, you know, who's where, or, or even if it is just this one guy. I think she has a, I think she has a personal connection to to Samael. Interesting, interesting, and kind of going off that theory, do you think maybe that's why she's keeping Zareen so close to the group? 
maybe she is seeing that it's a dark friend. Let me make sure if we can keep her contained to us, you know? You know, it, it's totally possible. And um, I don't know if I, I think, yes, I think, you know, that would kind of stay in line with Moraine's game. I will say as, as a prediction, I hope this isn't a cop out. I'm expecting to be surprised. I, I actually am expecting the rug to get pulled out from under me. I don't think Zareen is who she, who she says she is. Forsaken would be cool, but I, I almost imagine her being right. a big okay. player as well as like, you know, our, our field five and everything. But if she is, that would totally stay in line with what Moraine would do of, you know, if we can keep this dark friend close to us and kind of stay under the cover of of ignorance. I could totally see that being a very intellectual Moraine move. All right. Well, we are going to table that because read and find out. I hope I hope everyone that's that's keyed in right now on the Discord is just like, oh, he's so right. Or, oh, he's so wrong, but that'd be cool. <laughs> everyone on the Discord chat right now is just saying, wow, uh, Eric's an idiot. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I will say not as big as an idiot as Matt is when we get to him. I'm sure oh, we'll yeah. get to that later, but I called him a little shit in the last episode and I am re I'm reassigning him a title. He is now my idiot yeah. nephew. Matt. So let's, <laughs> I just want to finish up uh, the uh, parent section just for this, because I do have another question. How did Moraine know Perrin was having a wolf dream? Because she knew he went to sleep, but I feel like the wolf dream is such a specific thing that Perrin has. Yeah, that wolf, that whole wolf connection is something, if I recall correctly, she knows a little bit about, but is not an expert in it, nor are there any, you know, records or any real well-kept knowledge of what it is. So I could see, I could see a couple of things happening. Um, I could see her having the same wolf connection. I could see, you know, I don't think that's actually what it is because, you know, Perrin's eyes are yellow and I think so were the uh, the other yeah. wolf brother uh, from a while ago. So I think that is a pretty big, like, physical tell. Um, but she's Aes Sedai, so a little illusion on, you know, the color of her eyes could could totally be an answer to that. So she's either a wolf sister, which would be awesome, um, or she has some loose connection to this other realm because Dream's in this series as far as i can gather they're not so much about the characters internal stuff going on and kind of you know how uh yeah. especially in classic literature how we have to kind of sort and analyze the dreams for what it means you know with what the character is thinking i think the dreams are much more real you know yeah. these are these are things that are happening on a certain different plane of existence and i think she's tapped into that world i think she you know has some type of alarm trigger on that bell so she's able to yeah. visit people in her dreams whether she's an actual dreamer with a capital d like one of our girls is um i don't know but i think she has a connection somewhere to that so do you think so the dream world you will be able to learn to pronounce this eventually teleran riad oh jesus christ okay uh so the world of, you can also say the world of dreams i will be for a while until i feel brave enough <laughs> to say that but yeah the the world of dreams it, it's a real you know if not physical space it is very much real and i i love hopper's line 
where, you know, he's a wolf. Uh, he, he thinks yeah. wolfy things and he's trying to figure out a way to communicate this to Perrin. And I love the line of dreams are fake. Dreams are real. This is real life and not real life. I, I love the ambiguity and kind of that nuance of like, oh, yeah, we're not. There's a lot more going on than just our physical realm and our physical bodies. And I love that just in general. Oh, yeah. I love that. I love the it's a tense dream. But I also love the visual of Perrin just getting knocked out of the dream by just some big wolf puppy, just push, pushing him with the big paws. Like, it's such a great, like, visual that I'm like, it's like Air, air Bud, you know? <laughs> no, I do love that Hopper is uh, getting a bit more page time, too, because I, I just thought that that death was so... It was so good because it was so real, but I was so sad because I, I love those wolves. I love the wolf pack. And just to kind of see Hopper return again and again to be Perrin's mentor or his guide, I'm I'm so here for. Uh, I love, I love that they're wolf brothers. Oh, yeah. No, the wolf brother arc is definitely, it's been super fun. And especially with his dreams and it's Perrin and Egwene that their dreams, you always kind of catch something where you're like, wait a minute, what does this mean? Oh God, is this foreshadowing? Is this just a dream thing? Or is this an actual event that will happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I love that the dreams, they're exactly like you said, there's always a detail here or there that you could grab onto and either infer and predict from it or just let it unfold. But yeah, I, I think my general approach to dreams in the book are they are they are real information. This is not, you know, character fluff in any kind of way. And that these dreams mean things right. in, in the series. For sure. So on that note, we are going to switch over from our uh, Wolf Brother and his crew to Matt Coffin and Tom Maryland, who are currently chilling by the fire. My idiot nephew, my cool uncle. <laughs> Oh yeah. I I I hate Matt so much on this page because he reminds me so much of my first lab partner in chemistry when we were working with real life chemicals and the dude just starts mixing them up without any instruction from the teacher or what we're going to do or anything like nothing bad happened, you know. We're kids with chemicals in in a high school setting, so it's not like anything was going to be corrosive acid, but like I just had a I just had like a flashback of that happening. <laughs> what I love, I, yeah, Matt is all being a little bit of an idiot with opening the firework, but there is a moment where I do kind of feel bad for him because there's a moment that they talk about in the book previously where Matt says he'd just been curious, wanted to see what was in them, and everyone in Edmund's field, like, just reamed on him. And it's a thing of it comes up again in the next chapter. Matt has this curious streak, I think, that he doesn't mean harm by it, but I think he doesn't... Matt has no impulse control, I think. he. <laughs> if he sees a big red button, he's gonna push yeah. it. <laughs> and then go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. No, but I <laughs> totally have a lot of empathy for the little kid because he's just trying to get this letter to Camelin and then he's like, I only go home. We're done. You know? Yeah. And maybe I'm coming down a little too hard on him. I, I just think, you know, again, if I'm, if I'm talking about that character promise, 
we we are promised that Matt is going to get into trouble. He's going to be a little scamp. <laughs> so it makes sense oh, yeah. that he would just start opening the fireworks just quite literally to see what it was like inside. <laughs> yeah. And Tom, being the rational, functioning adult that he is, is like, are you insane? <laughs> like, I would not be surprised if Tom just threw his harp across the fire and smacked Matt right in the head sealed up the holes in his memory and just went, all right, let's just go. Yeah. And you know, as far as the relationship goes, uh, Tom and Matt being together and traveling together is actually so great. I feel like they are both alike and so different in very specific ways. They, they are one of my favorite uh, partnerships in the series so far of like these two traveling together. I could, I could read forever. Oh yeah. No, they have really a fun dynamic because Tom is, uh, the seasoned Sam Elliott sort of guy. And Matt is the happy-go-lucky. Do you picture Sam Elliott too? A little bit. Read? The whole That's been a whole thing of when the casting for Tom was announced, everyone had been like, it's Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is going to play Tom Marilyn. And even after now, when nearly season one is done filming, you can still see on forum posts people going, Sam Elliott? Is he Tom? It's like, no, not yet. No, <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. No, I just, I totally pictured Sam Elliott too. So I just think that's funny that you bring that up. Cause I'm like, yep, that's, that's, that's our, that's our Tom. Anyways, sorry, sorry for interrupting. I just, I, I, I get excited about Sam Elliott and I get excited when uh, my visualization lines up with somebody else's. I also pictured Sam Elliott as Tom, just that slow drawl. Um, would be very interesting to see, especially like surrounded by everyone else. If they kept everyone in like that standard British fantasy accent, and then Tom is just that pure Southern drawl, and no one acknowledges it. It's not changed. No one else in the Westlands has it. It's just him, and they just accept it. That would be a perfect expl uh, explanation, though, of like Uglyman's uh, captivation of like, oh, he just. That voice. I love that voice. <laughs> so if you remember when Matt and Tom were leaving Tarvalon, they were going on a ship and as they were making their way down, they were attacked by several members of the crew who were dark friends and a few of them escaped. And so these are the same people from that very ship. And it's... Uh, interesting because I believe it's Tom who kills the woman, and I think Matt is just jarred by that, you know? Yeah, Matt has a code of honor, you know? He is, he is, you know, he's a scamp, but he is a bit of a, of a gentleman. He does, you know, a lady can definitely put him off footing a bit, and I think without Tom being there, uh, there, there'd be no, there'd be no chance for him. He'd, he'd totally be dead. Oh, yeah. I think all the boys have this sort of hokey pokey view with the women as like they're it's very much reflective of Robert Jordan's upbringing this very like genteel way of viewing these women which you know to a 2021 lens isn't great you know everyone is going to get punched you know you got to save your life so it is interesting to see this reaction to these women to um to this woman being killed and how 
much matt is like shocked by it Mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know to to his credit i i will say she did have a dagger on her and that i think I think it's it's playing into that a bit of, you know, you can have this old fashioned view of the world, but you have to understand you're not you're not on the farm anymore. It isn't exactly like that. It's you know, there's all kinds of people in the world. Yeah. Exactly. And we do have a correction um, in the chat by Zul, who says the people who attacked Tom and Matt on the ship were not crew members. They right. I the think ship. Matt recognizes one of them. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Tom is, is shocked of somebody being able to swim all that way. Um, so I will say, and I, I this is kind of my reaction and my, uh, my take on all that. We, we see, you know, we see uh, uh, Balsamon. We see him with Matt playing dice. And I think there is either an edge of, Matt is lucky, but lucky can mean good luck or bad luck. Um, you know, the, you know, it, it is it is a bit of a double-edged sword. And from what I remember, I think Dark Friends are, are compelled when they have a certain mission set. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Matt continuously get into these bad situations by bad luck, but get out of them with a bit of good luck. <laughs> yeah, and especially because Matt is still figuring this all out, you know, after he woke up after being exercised from the dagger from Shadar Logoth, he was kind of figuring out, oh, okay, let's see how this works. I think one of my favorite scenes is he's leaving the tavern and he's being followed and it results in this chase and it ends up on the bridge. And this guy is, they're both leaning against the edge of the bridge and Matt goes, all right, let's just do it. And he shoves them both off the bridge and the man underneath him is dead, stabbed with his own dagger. And Matt's like, okay, you know? So it's, it's his little, like, it's like seeing how this will work for him. You know? Yeah. And I love that. Uh, I love his, you know, his self-assuredness about it. He knows he's lucky. He's not even like, oh, I don't know. This keeps happening to me. He's just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's, that's who I am. If I find a game of dice, I can make some money. And I, I love that since we're just getting the beginning of that, I could totally see this getting blown into, I honestly see a scene where Matt becomes the hero, where we think he's going to like self-sacrifice himself and unbeknownst to all of his companions, because he is really lucky, he kind of comes out of it or something. And uh, I I think something like that is going to happen. And I just got to say, I can't wait for that moment. Yeah. Like a fake out almost. Yeah, like a fake out, and like because we we did see uh, a while ago in that barn scene where where he got the fireworks from from that uh, uh illuminator is that is that what they're called I believe uh, illuminator and uh, her name is Aludra. So I I gotta imagine we're gonna run into her later as well, but I think Tom says something about him. You know, Matt does have a heroic streak in him. Oh yeah, and Matt famously proclaims in this book. I'm not a bloody hero as he's getting ready to save a woman's life. It's one of my favorite things about Matt is you sort of have to pay attention to what he does, what he says and what he thinks, because a lot of the time he's saying, Oh, I'm getting out. I'm not staying involved in this. And he's like sharpening his knife. Nope. I'm getting out of here. This is none of my business. And then saves a woman's life. Okay. 
well, I didn't mean to do that, you know? But I think what I love about it is I don't think it's him being, like, immodest about it. Like, he's trying not to be like, oh, no, I'm not a hero. I think he's genuinely like, no, no. I think he's been rejecting to Varen and the, what the wheel has planned for him, you know? And I think he get keeps getting pulled back and he keeps thinking, maybe if I tell the pattern and to Viren enough, I am not a hero, they'll go, you're right. You can go home now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as, uh, as, as I definitely know by this point, the, the wheel weaves as it will. Tom and uh, Matt get to Camelin. Uh Matt has holes in his memory and he can barely remember being there the last time. And he tells Tom... I'll meet you later. I'm going to go drop off this letter. And he gets to the gates of the palace and immediately starts sassing off to the guard in front of them. Like, where anyone else would have been like, hi, yes, I have a letter for the da- from the daughter heir for the queen. Matt's like, yeah, you're going to let me in or what? Yeah, he, he, he mounts off as is nature. Uh, I, I do believe there are some really great little thoughts breaks in here where he kind of he's kind of self-reflecting and self-editing of like oh maybe i maybe i could have handled that a little differently but um overall i actually love this device of like him returning to the city when last time we were here things were so different i love that this is a bit of a, a break in time where we can kind of assess oh things are in motion, things are happening, and these are not the same people that they were last time we were in the city. Oh, yeah. It's only been, I think, since they were in Camelin, it's only been, I would say, Mm -hmm. a couple of months. Like, it has not been, like, a year. They have, like, from the eye of the world to now, I believe it's been, and I might be wrong, like, half a Mm -hmm. year or so. Like, it's been a short amount of time. But no, I do love Matt's moments of, maybe I should have just said it was from Elaine. Again, no impulse control. Like, he will literally do something and then go, maybe there was a better way of handling this. Oh, crap. But he goes back, so he's being chased away because, of course, everyone else is like, because the Queen's Guard is like, dude, get the hell out of here. So he gets to the Queen's Blessing, which is where the group met out met up that last time they were there in eye of the world and he goes into the kitchen and he's speaking with a cook and she's like oh i remember you and i remember your prince friend and she mentions a woman named uh tigrain so i don't know if that name rings any bells it's been a passing reference but um there is a uh, fleeting reference in Eye of the World to somewhat the political history of Camelin, where it essentially is this older king had a wife named Tigrain who vanished into the waste. Um, and the old king married Morgase, and together they had uh, Elaine and Gawain. And so Small thing, just a uh, a thing to keep in the back of your pocket, but I just wanted to mention the name uh, Tigrain, Tigrain to you again. Just, uh, just to keep it there, because 
nothing said in the wheel of time is ever unimportant you know uh, anybody listening to this live can't see it but i do have a very large cork board that takes up one whole wall and there's just string and push pins crisscrossing each other like crazy I, I look like charlie day from it's always sunny in philadelphia with like the the theories and stuff and now i'm gonna have to put that one up there too and i gotta tell you dalen i'm, I'm running out of space there's so many there's so many yeah. like not even throwaway just like these little crumbs these little crumbs of stuff happening that's like hey do you remember this from over a thousand pages ago yeah it's really important now <laughs> That's what Robert Jordan said to his editors, that exact phrasing of, they were like, so, wait, who is this again? Okay, do you remember like 6,000 pages ago, three sentences into the third chapter? Yeah, that, what? Okay, okay. Yeah, that one definitely slipped by me. I definitely remember the uh, all of the references to Rand being a prince because he's all dressed up in the nicer, finer clothing now and remembering how much he hated that and how much there was a divide between him, Perrin, and Matt. Uh, so again, it's really cool to revisit this place and kind of that stuff popping up again. Oh, yeah. So I am being corrected by the uh, chat again because I may have read through the series once, but that doesn't mean I retain everything. So um, there was no old king. There are no kings of Andor. So the man, uh, Tigraine, was married to because she was the daughter heir he married more gays so uh, matt instead of one matt decides uh at the end of 45 that you know what i'm gonna go about this my own way and so matt decides to follow in rand's footsteps and decides to climb up the wall into the garden and just sort of sneak his way back in and as he's kind of hiding out he hears two voices and essentially is hears them going. He's kind of like just listening in for a little bit. And then he hears Elaine's name and he hears Elaine, Nynaeve and Egwene are going down to tear. And one of the men in this conversation wants them dead, but there's another man who is down there in that area that he does not want to get involved with. And so Matt hears Tyr and Elaine, Egwene, and Nynaeve, and it's just the wheel just kind of reaches out and goes, hey, I'm back. Did you miss me? Matt can never really escape. Well, it's funny because he's about to wrap up his, his last mission, his final duty. He's going to pass off the letter and, you know, tie that into a nice little bow. And then exactly, his his thread continues. He gets pulled r right when he thinks he's out. They pull him back in. And so he freaks out and he goes into, he gets uh, escorted into the palace by uh, Talonvor, who is one of the guards and... One of my favorite small moments is Matt plucks a flower from the garden and just tucks it into his hair. And the dude's like, take that out. I'm like, let Matt be pretty. Let Matt, let Matt treat himself to a little flower, you know? Um, <laughs> so they go into uh, the palace and he is taken to an audience with Morghese and her new advisor who Basil Gill says he just showed up one day like he hasn't been here long 
but already there's been these huge changes in the palace. Gareth Bryn is gone. So what were your, did you have any gut instincts about Gabriel? <coughs> Forsaken. Cough. <clears throat> oh, you think he's a... I don't, maybe not a Forsaken, but this is definitely a dark friend. This is definitely somebody put in place so that somebody could, you know, tug some strings. I'm, I'm getting real big Jafar vibes. You know, the advisor to to somebody who has a lot of power. You know, uh, we find out in this chapter that he was yeah. the other voice uh, making the plans, which was such a great moment of of Matt trying to just say something and blurt it all out. And then him realizing if he did, he probably would have been dead because that's the guy he was going to tell Morgaze oh, yeah. about. <laughs> so it's like he's trying to cut in and Morgaze is also reading this letter and is just kind of like her mood shifts in a in very strange ways like one sec she's like she's already in accepted how wonderful what and, and she seems to be really besotted to this dude like it's really strange you know no this this guy is definitely compelling her he's definitely got her under some kind of control he's definitely backseat driving uh these decisions i think i don't I don't have a clear beat on how deep it goes or how far up to the top he goes, but he's definitely a bad dude. (laughs) Straight up creeper vibes from him. And yeah, I did love that. I did love the uh, exactly how Morgay's like her emotions were shifting and how like I I, kind of love that type of. I don't know what you would call it, like compulsion, I guess, whatever this guy is working with. It's a very. I, I just love the nuance yeah. in, in the magic that they use in this series. Like, there's definitely something going on, and I can't quite tell what it is, but it's definitely unlike anything we've seen before in the series. And that makes me excited. That makes me excited that the well has not even close to run dry to, like, surprises that we're going to oh, no. pick up on and the I way. I think it is such this interesting moment of, towards the end of the chapter, uh, Gabriel puts his hand on Morgase's shoulder, and she just instantly calms and it's this moment of, okay, that's, again, what is he doing to her, you know? Well, and, you know, I think he's got compulsion over her. I think he's, like, kind of directly or indirectly controlling her. But it's not like this dude just kind of, I mean, he did kind of appear, but the dude's got influence. I know, you know, in this chapter, they said that he outfitted the guard, like, by half with people he knew and oh, were yeah. his men. Um, so I think this guy pretty much single-handedly has a stranglehold on, uh, Kamlo. Okay. That's, and that is, those are some lofty, lofty, lofty things. I think right now is, this book I feel like right now is Robert Jordan's been setting up his little domino set and his finger has been kind of like slowly like inching towards knocking it all down or and just kind of been like Mm -hmm. all right we're setting up all of these plot threads setting all of these things up and you know what you're exactly right and that's why i'm gonna put it all on black this guy is a is is a forsaken i'm going to call it from here he's going to run this city i think that's going to be a theme developing in these books is that you have a forsaken in a bunch of major cities and that we are not going to have a civil safe place for our okay. group. That's, I'm calling All right, it. so we have our sixth uh, Forsaken uh, with Gabriel. 
See, that's, and that's why I feel good about it because there's so many of them. I'm, I'm positive if I, if I even just keep doing this formulaically, I'm going to hit one. I'm going to hit one. And that's, that's all I want out of this podcast, Dalen. I just want to be right once. That's fair. And that is a fair, that is a fair want. And. Oh my God. I see, I see your poker face, like working double time. I, I feel like there's so much you and the, some of the people tuning oh, yeah. in might want to. Um, because you have this need to be right and that we have finished discussing the chapters, I want to introduce a little segment to the podcast called Trust or Sus, to make it rhyme, where I'm going to give you the names of characters that we have met and I can give you context to who they are, but I want you to decide if going forward, can you trust them? Or do you think they're suspicious? Are they part of the dark? So, our first name is Elida. Now, Elida was a was the Aes Sedai advisor to Morghese. And when she met Rand, she was kind of like a little aggressive towards him. And then she ended up back in the White Tower and has just kind of been chilling and she was there when Egwene got tested and she all around just gives off a not great vibe but but because we know Robert Jordan loves to play with nothing is truly black and white do you think uh where do you think Elida falls trust or sus sus I'm, I'm right. going sus all the so way Elida, we, she will be sus all right and then our next one, Viren. Viren was the brown sister that was in Faldara with uh, Moraine and the boys at the beginning of the Great Hunt. And she kind of went with Matt Pan, Pan Matt Rand and Perrin as they were looking for the horn. Um, do you have any feelings towards her? Suspicious? Do you? Trust or sus there in Mathlin? Uh, definitely sus again. Absolutely. I don't know how many Aes Sedai you have on this list, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go sus for every single one. And that's just because I don't think this is a, you know, it's trust or sus. It's yeah. not good or bad. And from the beginning, from the get-go, we have been told that the Aes Sedai have their own plans. They have their own agenda. Don't trust them. Whatever. If you get wrapped up with one, your life will never be the same. So not good or bad, but these two are okay. sus. All right. We don't have too many uh, Aes Sedai on here. Actually, this is our last one. Swan Sanche, the Amarlin Seat. Ooh. Um, damn. Okay. You know what? This one's actually a little bit harder because uh, she gets a lot to do in the beginning of this book before they take off. And we get a we get a little bit of, you know, some context to her position. We get some context to her character. I'm. Oh, God, this this one's hard. This one's hard, Dalen, because I know because she's she's pretty in league with Moraine, if I remember correctly. Is, yes, is that correct? They're very close. I gotta go sus. I gotta go sus. I, I cannot I cannot not be on my toes around the Aes Sedai. That's that's all I feel. Oh yeah. Especially because of the Black Aja. 
Yes, especially since that was confirmed, and now it's like we are infiltrated. I don't, I don't trust any of them. But let me ask you a question. Um, do you think any of the Aes Sedai... So let me give out... Uh, this is like a sub-segment. Um, of who do you think of Swan Sanche, Elida, Viren, and let's add Lorraine. Do you think any of them are Black Aja? Oh, shit. Um, yes. Okay. I, I cannot say with confidence who, but at least in that grouping, there's got to be one. I think I think it runs deeper than it has been revealed so far. If you had to just throw out a guess of who do you think would be more likely, like if they revealed that you went, yeah, that scans of those four women... So this is like a four times back and forth. It couldn't be this because it'd be so obvious, but that's exactly why it is. And I'm going back and forth on my brain about it. I Viren, I think so. Okay. I don't want it to be. I think she's the most innocent. She's the closest I would say to trust in that whole list of Aes Sedai we just had. But that's exactly why I think, I, I think it, I just, I fall in love with these characters and they, they keep tipping their hand that they're not, they're not who I think they are, and I, I think that's her. Okay. All right, so let's move on. Let's go back to Trust or Sus. And we are going to go uh, Morgase, the Queen of Andor. Trust. Okay. I think in the overall web, Trust, I, I think I think she's, you know, not by her own uh, compulsion or anything. I think she's a little sus right now, but I don't think that's her fault. So ultimately, Trust. All right. Let's do Galad de Modred. Is he... Okay, which brother is he? Is he the perfect older one? Uh, Galad's the hot one. Galad's the one that everybody thirsts after. He's the, like, very classically handsome... Uh, the always... He's, he's about as close as we have to, like, a knight, right? Yes, he is the one that okay. Elaine says... He does what's right, no matter what, as if that's the worst thing someone could do. <laughs> um, oh, uh, is, uh, trust. Okay. But I think he's going to be corrupted. Okay. All right. And so um, last one on our list is Gawain Trocan. He's uh, Elaine's brother, like blood brother, and he was a little cool with Rand, like they were kind of chill when they first met. Um, and I believe he is now training with Galad at the White Tower to be a warder. Uh, yeah, de definitely trust. I liked him from the first moment I met him. He, he and Rand had that great rapport, and he's kind of a he's kind of a cool guy. And I I hope we get to see more of him. And I I absolutely trust him. All right. So I'm very curious to see how this. Uh, lays out i'm going to put this in eric's predictions um our channel on the discord um so just remind me again so uh we have in our trust we have gawain morgase um who viren you had as trust right yeah ultimately i think trust i i think i'm gonna get taken for a ride on, on her whole arc, but I think ultimately I, I I just need her also to be 
the voice because she's uh she's like the knowledge branch of the aja right like i find brown aja yeah the brown i just i need somebody like that in this book series so that way i can be like the dumb reader who's getting spoon-fed like this is how this works this this is from the the whatever age or anything so i need to trust her I, i need her to be good all right and so your sus will be uh elida swan sanjay and then uh, Galad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you for putting all the spoiler headings on our Discord server. That's helped very much. I promise I will uh, be a bit more active on there. I'll introduce myself a little bit more in depth and interact with you guys. But I definitely scrolled down. And definitely just caught the bits of Eric, don't look <laughs> and realized I was oh, in spoiler yeah. territory and got out oh, of there yeah. as fast as I could. Um, there is the spoiler free, which is where I uploaded a lot of the fan art as spoiler free as I could find, because a lot of the time with our three boys, you're going to get spoilers all. And especially- I gotta imagine there's some transformations and some stuff that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm betting right now. Perrin is going to, is going to end up transforming into a full on wolf. Nice. Full wolf boy. Just a full wolf boy. i and I'd, I'd totally be here for that. All right. That's going in the predictions channel. <laughs> um, and then it was, sorry, uh, Gabriel, it's a forsaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said, uh, Zareen is a dark friend or a forsaken. Yes. All right. And then you also said Moraine could also be a Forsaken working on the inside. Yeah, a uh, a repentant Forsaken. Or, yeah, yeah, I'll keep it there. All right. And I think on that note, I think I kind of want to leave it here until next week. So on that note, we want to thank you all for uh, joining us this week for another episode of Loyal's Book Club. Uh, Eric, where can they find you? Yeah, if you uh, do social media at all, you can find me at Viva Ladanes. That is V-I-V-A-L-A-D-A-I-N-S. And I am on Twitter mostly, but I do have an Instagram account, though that is racking up some cobwebs. So I am I am fairly uh, active on Twitter occasionally. All right. And then you can find me at The Only Gay in the Two Rivers. I am on Twitter. Make sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast. If you like what we heard, we try to record every Friday and release every Monday. We are officially available on Anchor, on Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So we are legit. And so we want to thank you again and uh, tune in next week as we barrel towards the end of The Dragon Reborn.